from Interlochen Public Radio, this is Unnatural Selection, a new series about the benefits and pitfalls of tinkering with the natural world. Are we solving problems or just making more? I'm Dan Wanshura. And I'm Morgan Springer. We'll be exploring that question for the next seven episodes. Today is episode one, A Necessary Weevil? With a question mark. That's right. That's reporter Patrick Shea. Hey, Patrick. What's up, Patrick? Hey, Dan. Hey, Morgan. Where are you going to take us today, Patrick? Where, where do we start? 200 million years ago. Crikey. Way back. That's when the supercontinent Pangaea started to split apart. Biologists say that started separate evolutionary timelines. Those pieces of Pangaea would become the seven continents that we know today. And as they floated out to sea, unique webs of life were woven in isolation. But long after the continents drifted apart, humans started drifting together. As people crossed the oceans, they brought seeds with them, both by mistake and by design. And sometimes a run-of-the-mill plant on one continent becomes an aggressive weed on another. Some of those plants were thistles, and today's story starts with those pesky plants. You walk, you'd be walking through our passion, you hit it, you'll oh, know. Oh, you'll know. <laughs> it's nasty stuff. Yeah. It, it is nasty stuff. That's Eric and Allison Egler. They raise grass-fed cattle outside of Ludington, Michigan. And on their farm, a species known as Canada thistle has been a thorn in their side. It's kind of stringy, spiny. Mm-hmm. The cows will definitely not eat into them. They'll eat their way around them more. And as cows avoid thistles, the plants keep seeding and spreading, taking up more and more grazing real estate. You know, it's almost to the point where you might, just to prevent that spread of that area, you might just have to use chemical, you know, which is not our first option at all. The Eglers would prefer not to spray herbicide because it can kill other plants in the pasture, plants they want. It's also not particularly healthy for the people mixing and applying the chemicals. Then on top of that, there's the financial cost. I can remember a few years back, we had a cornfield. We actually had to spray the thistle. It was so bad in that cornfield. And I think it cost us close to three grand just in chemical. And it stunted it, didn't kill it. The Eglers are not alone in their frustration with Canada thistle. Despite its name, this plant is from Europe, but it's been a nuisance to North American farmers for hundreds of years. It's so despised that many states have laws requiring landowners to control it, to keep it from spreading. Vermont passed a law like this more than 200 years ago. And now, noxious weed laws in states like Colorado, Iowa, and Oklahoma list a few species of European thistle as public enemy number one. Must thistle in the state of Oklahoma has been uh, listed on the noxious weed list, so it is the landowner's responsibility to control that. That's Tommy Puffenbarger, director of Oklahoma State University's Alfalfa County Extension. In his area, musk thistle is a big problem. In a video from OSU, he explains one way to keep the thistles in check. Biological control, which means you try to control a pest by introducing a natural predator. Or if we're around a stream bed or a pond, we can't spray. So then we rely on our biological control, which is the musk thistle head weevil. Okay, wait, what the heck is a weevil? So it's a type of tiny little beetle that happens to eat thistle seeds. And I had never heard of one either, so I thought you might ask. Here, I've got a picture. Okay, pretty weird looking. It's it sort of got this long snout, almost like an anteater. Yeah, and you can see how 
really tiny it is because in the picture there's this bud a flower bud Mm -hmm. the weevil's just like less than half the size of the bud yeah they're tiny little guys but back in europe they're natural predators of these thistles so starting in the 1960s state and federal agencies began releasing these european weevils all across the country they hoped they'd beat back the invasive thistles the weevil attack goes like this They lay their eggs in or around a thistle's flower head, and from those eggs hatch larvae. And then the larvae will feed on the flower for 25 to 30 days. During that time, the larvae eat all the seeds inside. And every seed eaten is one less thistle down the road. Now, these weevils might seem like the perfect chemical-free solution to a nationwide weed problem. But that's not the end of the story. These little bugs are causing new problems in the sand dunes of the Upper Great Lakes. That's because the weevils aren't the picky eaters scientists hoped they'd be. They don't just feed on the thistles they were supposed to. The weevils are eating a rare native plant and stopping it from reproducing. A plant called pitcher's thistle. So now I feel like we're getting to the heart of it. That, you know, that part in the story where we see the problem with our own environmental management. I mean, in this case, the unintended consequences of our actions. Yeah, and even the intended consequences, you know, biological control, that didn't really work out either. See, some thistles send out what's called runners. They're like tiny horizontal roots underground. Then new thistles can shoot up from those runners, grow, flower, do their thing. So even if a weevil eats the seeds from the original plant, new plants can still grow. Pitcher's thistle, on the other hand, it doesn't do that. No runners underground. Seeds are all it's got. Okay, so the weevil wasn't real successful at killing invasive thistles. But what about the native pitcher's thistle? What were the consequences for it? And I don't know, Patrick, does it ultimately matter that the weevils are hurting this plant? You know, I'll let an expert explain that. Claudia Joles is a conservation biologist who's been studying pitcher's thistle for the better part of 30 years. Well, as a Michigoose, I'm a Michigan native, you know, we certainly knew the dune systems and I knew there were some distinctive plants there once I had become a botanist at the University of Michigan, but it wasn't until we started researching it intensively that I began to recognize that rare doesn't mean unimportant. And the more researchers look into pitcher's thistle, the more important this rare plant turns out to be. In one of her studies, Joel's looks at how the thistle fits into the network topography of the sand dunes ecosystem. Well, certainly it's scientific jargon, but it's something that anyone can appreciate if you go out to these spectacular freshwater dunes just on a pretty afternoon, sit down at a flowering pitcher's thistle plant and just watch and see what happens. and you're going to see anywhere from 30 to 50 different species of insects come to visit uh, those flowers for resources of things like pollen and nectar. Pitcher's thistle, simply put, is visited by more different types of insects than any other plant on the dune landscape. And so to lose it may have impacts not just on the plant itself, but also the entire community as well. All right, guys, keep picturing that sand dune where Claudia brought us. Yeah, dude, I'm there. I am happy to be there. (laughs) 
It's pretty bare. There aren't really a whole lot of flowers that can live in this environment, right? Yeah, I don't know that I've really ever seen a whole lot of flowers in sand dunes. Mo- mostly just it's grass, dune right? Grass. Yeah. Yeah. It can get really windy on a dune. There are crashing waves and there aren't a lot of nutrients available in the sand, so it's a harsh place. And it takes a special kind of plant to make it here. And this special plant can flower all summer long, from June to September. So there are times when Pitrus thistle is really the only thing on the menu for pollinating insects. Hmm. But there's a problem. This critical plant is in big trouble. And not just because of the weevil. I think the really sad part about my career is I've been studying this plant long enough to see its threats increase. The Pitrus thistle has been listed as a federally threatened species for more than 30 years. Its decline is largely due to habitat loss as people build homes and communities near the lakeshore. And its situation has only gotten worse. So 25 years ago, we did not have to worry about an invasive biological control agent. She's talking about those weevils. Remember, they were spread on purpose as a biological control agent. But in this case, the agent went rogue. Keep going, keep going. Oh my gosh, I feel like this weevil is James Bond. James Bond never goes rogue, does he? Bourne. That's Jason Bourne, right? Jason Bourne, yes. yes. God, whatever. <laughs> okay, okay. What does this mean that the agent went rogue? Well, it means that these weevils are really doing a lot of damage. They're preventing the reproduction of the pitcher's thistle, and they seem to be spreading. The first signs of the problem were noticed in southeast Wisconsin in the early 2000s, but now the weevils are targeting pitcher's thistle all over the Great Lakes. Scientists think that only the northernmost dune systems are still weevil-free. So the outlook is pretty grim. One of the reasons this problem is so devastating has to do with the plant's life cycle. Pitrus thistle only flowers once in its lifetime. It spends most of its life as a small circle of leaves on the ground, soaking up the sun, building up energy, and growing its taproot down into the sand. Then, after four to eight years, it finally shoots up a stalk, forms seed heads, and flowers. And then those insects looking for food they have a meal. And that one season is its only chance to reproduce. It gets one shot, then it dies. Jeez, that is brutal. So, so when the weevils eat all those seeds, they lose that one shot completely. Right. That'd be like if you were working on some big seven-part podcast series. You had hours of tape, and it all just got deleted. Don't oh, say Patrick. it, Patrick. Oh, just like don't, don't even there. say that. <laughs> don't go there. Wow. What a nightmare. Wow. Is there any hope for this plan? Uh, Can anything be done at this point, do you think? I mean, I guess I'd say there are people doing what they can. First off, some botanists are putting pitchers thistle seeds into seed banks, like just in case the species does go extinct. And unfortunately, it looks like that's where this is headed. But that doesn't mean that scientists are just throwing in the towel already. I'm at Indiana Dunes National Park at the southern tip of Lake Michigan. And I'm here with Noel Pavlovich. He's a research ecologist with the U.S. Geological Survey. Like Claudia Joles, he's been studying Pitcher's thistle for decades, and he's also noticed a recent decline. When I first came here, there was some Pitcher's thistle over there, and some over there, and some up there, and now it's gone. 
Noel is walking along the beach with his co-worker, Johanna Nafosi. They're worried that if the weevils keep feasting, there won't be enough seeds for Pitcher's Thistle to make it here. That's why they're on this walk, to plant new seeds and look for damaged seed heads. Johanna finds a Pitcher's Thistle and calls Noel over. There's an adult right there. Where's the adult? Right there. In front of me? Yep, it's uh, right here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you can see the seed heads yeah. there. Noel peels back the outer layer of a seed head to look for signs of weevil larvae. This one looks normal. Well, the bottom is usually gray. This looks black to me. Mm -hmm. So it looks like frass. So there was... The bug poop. Bug poop. Weevil poop, to be exact. Noel first started noticing weevil-damaged seed heads about 10 years ago. Since then, he's been trying to learn everything he can about these little insects. In their greenhouse, he shows me some samples he's collected. Okay, this is a great specimen, actually. Oh, wow, it's tiny. Okay, so this is the Lorinus thistlehead weevil. Now, do you see this guy's got this long snout? Yeah. See that? So that's Lorinus. And was this one of the species that's been released as a biocontrol agent in the, in the yes. past? Yes for Canada thistle. Has it been successful in controlling Canada thistle at all? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Yeah. <laughs> That's just one of three weevil species Noel and Johanna have found here in the park. So they're hurrying to get more seeds into the sand, and winter is the time to plant. These two won't be stopped by snow, sleet, or even Congress. A few years ago, when the government shut down, I was at home, not allowed to work, and I called up Johanna. I go, holy crow, we got to plant those seeds. <laughs> Walk in the park. And we came out here and we planted seeds. It was cold, wasn't it? I love it. <laughs> so they're basically racing the weevil. Yeah, they have to plant more pitchers thistle than the weevil can get to. Yeah, they hope their planting efforts will buy some time, basically, help pitchers thistle survive, while scientists search for a way to control the weevils. And one method being studied is pheromone traps. Those would mimic the specific scent of a female weevil to catch and kill males searching for a mate. But that research is still in the early stages. And if land managers have learned anything from all of this, they won't be hasty when it comes to that control method. Because that's how we got here in the first place. We as humans want to have quick answers to things. Um, our lifespan is very and, short. And our lives are, yeah, that's true. So it's a key, a key very important that you continue a research for many, many years. Like, I feel like these biological processes are not necessarily like attached to our human, like, short lives. In the meantime, Noel and Johanna will keep planting seeds and crossing their fingers. I don't want to lose any of these seeds. There we go. Grow, babies, grow. Yes, that's the magical chance. Yeah. They don't grow if Noel doesn't say that. <laughs> grow, babies, grow. Grow, babies, grow. Grow, babies, grow. That's fun. Is that all for this week, Patrick? Almost. I want to wrap things up with Claudia Joles again, the researcher we heard from early on. She agrees that saving this plant won't happen quickly, and these weevils show how quick fixes can backfire. But I really like her takeaways. We can maybe take a cue from our colleagues in medicine when one of our guiding principles should be first do no harm. And if we realize we have unfortunately done harm, to see if we can rectify it. 
So yes, I believe ethically, morally, we are obliged to be good stewards of the earth because the earth has been good steward for us. That story was written and produced by Patrick Shea. Coming up next week, what happens when we build permanent structures on an impermanent landscape? I think people have to get used to the idea the lake is going to win in the end. How solutions to eroding shorelines on the Great Lakes actually cause more problems. That's a wrap on Unnatural Selection this week. I'm Dan Wanshura. Morgan Springer is co-host and editor of the series. That's me. Consulting editor is Peter Payette. Music for this episode by Poddington Bear, Max Dragoo, and Marlon Ladine. Erin O'Malley did our logo. Special thanks to Rich Corner of the U.S. Forest Service and Kay Havens of the Chicago Botanic Garden for help with this story. Unnatural Selection is a special series of our podcast, Points North. You can find more environmental stories from the Upper Great Lakes at pointsnorthradio.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, consider subscribing to, rating, and reviewing the show. 